Um, it's absolutely fantastic to be up here in Ellis. I've, I feel privileged to be here and it's been a, a pleasure to meet some of you over the last couple of days and sit with you and listen and learn a lot, uh, be challenged in my own thinking and I'm really thankful for that uh, and be encouraged by what God is up to. Uh, God is always at work. Isn't that encouraging? Uh, you are part of a growing movement of churches. Across South Australia, we have more than 70 churches who are part of our movement. And as Gav mentioned, we're connecting more deeply with the churches of the NT, which can only benefit Ellis Springs so that you no longer feel lost in the middle, I promise. Uh, we're excited because we see God at work in so many ways. Churches have been planted over the last couple of years. Uh, Baptism has been celebrated over the last couple of months. I don't have data to back this up, but it feels to me that we have seen more baptisms over the last summer than we've seen in a little while across our movement of churches. And that's worth celebrating, that the Spirit of God is inviting people into his family, bringing healing and life and an invitation into his way of life. And it's been great to hear similar stories from here in Alice. God is good. We have so much to celebrate. I'm pleased this morning to be joining in with the beginning series that you guys have been journeying with with over the last few weeks, Genesis Revisited, another look or perhaps a renewed look at the ancient storyline of creation. The beginning is a, a rich poem that begins to weave themes and ideas that wind their way through, through the rest of the stories of God. And we find ourselves invited to engage in a wonderful story and not just to listen to, but a story to enter into and to find life in and live out of. The beginning is a story, an ancestral retelling of the origins of life that wonderfully introduces us to the creator's spirit, God himself speaking all of creation into existence. These ancient words beautifully describing humanity being made in the image of God and wonderfully inviting us to participate fully in the human experience. And weaving through this story is a song line of Sabbath, an invitation from God to delight with him in creation, in all of life. And the part of the poem we are looking at this morning, as we've wonderfully read from these first few verses of Genesis 2, let me read it in English for us, it is a little bit longer. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing, so on the seventh day he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all his work, from all the work of creating that he had done. This is the account the poem finishes of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. And we're reminded in these verses that God has wonderfully created all things, space and matter and time, landscapes and creatures and people, are all part of God's beautiful design. Everything in heaven and on earth, everything seen and unseen, is created by God. And it is creative and colorful and wonderful. And it tells the story of a, of a God who is generous and good and kind and who has an imagination for a flourishing world. And God gives us this good 
gift, a generous gift. And he invites us to participate in creation as co-creators with him, creating alongside him a flourishing world. And so we find ourselves with work to do, to create and build and bring order and beauty and life and community. And God says, it is all good. But God's generosity goes further. On the seventh day, God rests, the poem tells us. But he is not resting like we imagine him to rest, maybe. Because we need to be a little bit careful here with the word rest. Because our most common use, I think, is I need to rest. But that's not what God is saying here. God is entering a time of rest, not a lazy slumber, not a desperate recovery of energy. God's rest is a time of presence and celebration as God himself entered into creation. God himself entered into all that he had made to enjoy all that he had made, to delight in all that he had made. The song line of Sabbath that we find in this poem does not start with a weary collapse into the couch as God recovers from his work. Nor does it start with a day of duty where God refrains from work as discipline. The song line of Sabbath starts with God delighting in his creation, bringing his very presence into the world as his greatest gift yet. It was all good But now God is present. Amazing. Right from the very beginnings, we are invited into a songline of Sabbath delight, of presence. And God wants to invite us to join him in a life and rhythm of delight and presence and celebration of rest. Let's look a little bit further into that rhythm. As we hear this ancient story of creation, we should notice a number of repeated phrases through Genesis 1 and this little bit of 2. Here's here's one that I want to focus our attention on today. We hear it six times. There was evening and there was morning. Why should this get our attention? Well, it's backwards, isn't it? For the most part in our culture, we would say there was morning and then there was evening. But for Hebrew culture, a day begins when the sun sets, a rhythm of sun setting and sun rising. Now much of our focus in the story of creation, of space and matter, of land and water and humanity, the creation of things, God brings order in the chaos, creating space and filling it with matter. But God is also creating time. We already know God as the creator of things, as the architect of all that we can see and touch and experience. But if we rush through the story, we can miss an important truth that God is also the architect of time. There was evening and there was morning. There was evening and there was morning. A repetition that draws our attention to God creating rhythms and seasons. If we look a bit further into the poem, and focus on the central part, right in the middle in the Hebrew of the creation poem, we read this from Genesis chapter 1, verse 14, and God said, let there be lights 
in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years. Part of God's imagination for life is a rhythm of days and of years and of sacred times. Times for work and times for rest. Seasons for productivity and intensity and seasons for celebrating and enjoying all that God has made and his presence. Built into the creation story, built into the rhythm of existence is an architecture of time. There's something else we can notice in our poem that builds on this architecture of time. Let's look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 3 again. It says, Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Now, there is no reference in the rest of the poem creation, the story of creation, to any object in space or created matter that is made holy. Even though we might expect that after heaven and earth were established, that God would create a holy place, maybe a mountain or a spring, where humanity might build a sanctuary, a monument in physical place, to gather and worship and where God's presence might be enjoyed. That's what we might expect. But instead, God builds into his architecture of time what the rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel calls a temple in time, the Sabbath. He says this, Judaism is a religion of time. Judaism teaches us to be attached to holiness in time, to be attached to sacred events, to learn how to consecrate sanctuaries that emerge from the magnificent streams of a year. The Sabbaths are our great cathedrals. I love the way Hebrew thinking invites us to enter into this story maybe in a different way for our way of thinking. In his reflections on Sabbath, there's a wonderful invitation to recognize God as an architect of time, and to see our invitation to become co-architects of time with God as we build meaningful rhythms and practices and sanctuaries within time. And the invitation from the very beginning of the story is to start by building a temple in time, a Sabbath rhythm. Heschel's got a whole book on his thinking on this. And he begins his entry into Sabbath by saying, anyone who wants to enter into the holiness of the day must first lay down the profanity of clattering commerce, of being yoked to toil. In other words, Sabbath is a protest against the overwhelming demands of survival and success in our world. In the noise and clatter and distraction of everyday life, it can be hard to keep afloat in the never-ending pursuit of happiness, chasing an insatiable appetite for more, all while drowning in a ditch of distractions. And the modern-day clatter of commerce is an industrialized commercialization that creates for us an architecture of time, overwhelmed by a materialistic urgency to produce more, to get more, to have more. In other words... We're in a hurry. Hurry has become the great enemy of a flourishing 
spiritual life. The great enemy of a flourishing human experience. Now, maybe hurry is not a problem in Central Australia. Central Australia. Maybe it's just us Southerners. I do know it's especially a problem for us Westerners or those who've been formed in a Western way of thinking. How are you? I'm busy. Has been the proud cry of our age. We have a, become a people now formed to measure a successful life by the fullness of our lives. But not a rich and deep fullness, but a, a skimming of life, skimming over our lives instead of actually living them. We rush from one noisy moment to another, rushing to become someone that maybe we don't even want to become. We struggle to love deeply, to experience joy, to know peace. And we see symptoms of that in ourselves and others all the time. Deep down, some of us are running away from something, some of us are running to something, all of us hurrying. All of us consuming. All of us addicted to a way of life that demands our time and our attention. We now touch our phones over 2,600 times a day. That's on average. Millennials, you're way worse. We're way worse. Our attention spans reduce to just eight seconds. Goldfish have an attention span of nine seconds. We are now worse than goldfish. I tried for an eight-second sermon today, but it's not happening. Our condition has been called, called a pathological busyness. Using the words of T.S. Eliot, we are distracted from distraction by distraction. We're drowning in distraction. The insatiable appetite of materialistic gain, hurrying past real life. Perhaps our experience, your experience, is less dramatic than the picture I have painted here. Perhaps some of us are not so much perpetrators of escapism and rushing, but more victims of the realities of life in the modern world. A world that demands a certain pace and intensity just to survive, much less to thrive. Perhaps after talking with Gavin, that's closer to what life is like here in Alice. It's not so much hurry that is the burden, but intensity. Life lived, poured out. Constantly giving of yourself into the many demands of work and life and ministry and maybe even survival. Whatever it might be for you, in the intensity, in the noise, in the rush, in the surviving, we can so very easily miss the voice of God inviting us to experience life to the full, to enter into the songline of Sabbath. Now, the Finnish ancients from far away would say God did not create hurry. Instead, God invites us to join him in restful presence, celebration, and delight. Sabbath is an invitation of resistance. It is a protest in a, in a world of noise, noisy hurry where we peacefully pause and create a sanctuary of time, intentionally withdrawing, intentionally delighting. Sabbath, Sabbath offers an alternative rhythm, 
one which sustains for the other six days, one that enriches the other six days, one that can even shape our experience of the other six days. And as we practice Sabbath, we're shaping a life of noticing, celebrating, resting in the presence of God. And with regular practice, this shapes our lives every day. The invitation is to build a cathedral of time, a Sabbath act of worship built from intentional refrain and intentional delight. The building of Sabbath requires us to withdraw, to stop, to step back, to rest, to sit, to silence, to turn off. A healthy refrain from the life and habits and practices and demands of the other six days. The discipline is part of the architecture. The building requires creating a sacred rhythm that removes the noisy distractions and demands to make room, to make space for delight. Intentional delight, forming practices and rhythms and habits in our lives that involve presence and joy and hope and peace and celebration and love and worship. What might this architecture look like for you? I ask this question for you as an individual, as a household, as a small group, as a spiritual church family. For the Jews, Sabbath was both duty and delight. As God worked with them to shape their rule of life, Sabbath was built into their laws, even sitting at number four in the Ten Commandments. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. They expanded on it and built it and kept it to the point that Sabbath became a rigorous and tightly controlled day of refrain. A few years ago, I had the privilege of traveling to Israel. And one of the things that we discovered while we were there was some of the Shabbat practices. One that sticks in my mind is catching a lift. So in a lift, you need to press buttons to go to the floor that you need to go to. But on Shabbat, you can't press buttons. That's work. So the lift stops at every floor, every time, so that you don't have to press any buttons. Sounds ridiculous to us, right? But it's an example of just how far the Sabbath rest rules can go. Another story I remember is an example of building a Sabbath practice on the foundation of privilege. Jews don't drive on Sabbath. Again, driving is work. So how do they get around? By catching taxis. Taxis driven by Palestinians. Some of their practices are built on privilege. In the Gospel of John in chapter 5, we find Jesus going up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals, part of the architecture of time, of the Jewish tradition. And he was joining in, as was his habit. And Jesus comes across a paralyzed man who was seeking fullness of life. He was after healing. There's way more to the story, but Jesus heals him and he picks up his mat and walks under Jesus' instruction. And and the Jewish leaders, who were also the Sabbath police, tell the man off for carrying his mat. And they seek to confront the person that gave him permission to do that. And again, it's a ridiculous story. The Jewish leaders missing the gift of life from Jesus right in front of them to to police an overruled Sabbath, 
to miss a gift from God. They, were, they missed it because they were so distracted by the duty of Sabbath. Jesus later explains to the Jewish leaders, my father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. God didn't stop working when he Sabbathed. He entered into the story of the world to continue to bring life and presence and hope and joy and peace and love. John says they added this to the list of reasons to try and kill Jesus. There are similar stories in the other Gospels. In a, in, a, in, a story, in a story in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus asked the Jewish leaders, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or destroy it? Because again, they were resisting his attempts to bring life and delight. Jesus says in the Gospel of Mark to the Jewish leaders, the Sabbath was made for humankind, not humankind for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. The rules of the day had become the master of the day, missing the intention and the heart and the joy of the Sabbath rhythms. The Sabbath was not meant to be a harsh master, but a delightful servant. It was made for us to enjoy the presence of God and the good of life and creation. In the Gospel of Matthew, just before Matthew tells his story about Jesus and the Sabbath, he says these words, and if you hear nothing else today, I hope these words are a gift to you. They're not mine, they're Jesus. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Man, aren't those words beautiful and gentle and invite us into something so wonderful. Jesus invites us to join him in a rhythm of life, in a way of life that says, sure, life will be hard and heavy and there is much to do. And as you put your shoulder into the work and create and support and design and heal and build and organize and connect and serve and love and give of yourself, my way of life means your burden will be light, and you will find rest even in that work. Wonderful. Jesus' life itself was a model of healthy architecture. He was often swamped with demands for his attention, for his thoughtful response, for his radical recreation, for his caring touch, for his powerful intervention, for his presence. His personal space was often crowded his days were often full. His intentions were questioned. His reputation was ridiculed. His life was threatened. And yet, in all of that, Jesus sustained a relaxed restfulness because of a well-built architecture of time. He would regularly get up early to pray. He would go on camping trips with his disciples. Despite the fact that there was more need in town or more time he could spend with, within a household or so many more places to visit, he created a rhythm of Sabbath. He joined in with the seasonal celebrations. He ate and drank and delighted with his friends, so much so that he got accused of being a glutton and a sinner. Jesus models a, a Sabbath way a way of building a temple in time that sustained him 
built into the storyline of creation. Part of King Jesus' way of life, we find this song line of Sabbath. An architecture of time that we are invited to build in our own lives, in the life of this church. How do we build a Sabbath? How do we build this temple in time? How do we build a temple in time that is unable to be drowned out by the demands and distractions of life? Heschel, who I've quoted already today, says of the Sabbath that it is a shrine that the Romans and the Germans were unable to destroy. How can we build in our lives a sacred time that cannot be drowned out or destroyed by the distractions and demands of this world? As you build, what might you need to refrain from? To stop, to cease, to quiet, to turn off, to resist, to remove, to repent of, to let go of. How can you build into your life practices of refraining, a discipline of letting go, of stepping back, of quieting the noise, of stepping out of the hurry and the rush and resting? How can you build practices of delight into your architecture? Do you need to set aside a meal every week that becomes a feast of celebration? Do you need to set aside an afternoon for a nap? Do you need to get up early to find a silent space? There are lots of ways you can build rituals of Sabbath into your life. And not just weekly, but daily and yearly rhythms too. Seasons and festivals of celebration and delight on your own and in community. For me, I like to work on the land. A physical engagement of cre with creation, planting and farming and building and fixing. I do it with a smile because it brings rest and joy into my life. And it's very different from my ministry work, my day job. And it creates joy and moments of worship and space to rest in God's good gifts. I also like to make time to go on adventures like I was able to do with my old friend, Sai, who led our Sabbath practice yesterday up the top of Mount Sonder and into the depths of Red Banks Gorge. A time of delighting in the company of an old friend, of wondering in the beauty of creation, of enjoying the presence of God, of expressing gratefulness together as we shared stories of life and journey. I also like to build and cook over a fire a, pra a practice that has become a practice of slowing down and enjoying the warmth of food. A practice that slows me down and sits me down and engages my senses. I also like to practice noticing. But noticing requires a much slower pace. Noticing requires time. Notice something about the person I am with, paying attention to them and to what they love and care for. 
I also like to notice something about the ecosystem that I am in, whether it's in a church or whether it's out in creation. Paying attention to what God is already up to there. I want to build into my architecture of time a a pace that is slow enough to enjoy and notice the presence and work of God in the churches and in the adventures. What about for you? Sabbath rhythms are yours to build. Jesus reminded us that we are not meant to be mastered by them. But if we don't build them, we will find ourselves in desperate need of them. In the story of my life, I have learnt the hard way that Sabbath is coming for you, whether it's delight or discipline. King Jesus wants to make sure that we are not mastered by the architecture, but that we might flourish because of the architecture. If you're looking for places to learn from and people to learn from, we have so much to learn from others. Other people have been building their architecture for a long time. And in the short time I've been here, I've already found a lot of people who are really good at this. There are people here to learn from, many in this church. We also have so much to learn from other cultures. And I'd suggest that there is a deep richness in the architecture of time that is built into the, ancient, into the rhythm of life for the ancients and the ancients of this land, for the people of this country. What might it look like to take some time to listen and notice and learn from the rhythms of our First Nations sisters and brothers? I know many of you already do. The song, lines, the song line of Sabbath invites us into a life of resting in the presence of God. God has generously gifted us with all of creation and with himself. For the Jews, Sabbath and their festivals were not just duty and delight. Were not just duty, but they were delight. Delighting in God himself. And on those days and in those seasons and at those festivals, actually entering into the stories and presence of God. They weren't just things to do, but an engagement with God himself and the stories of their lives. And one of the shared festivals that we share in as Baptists, as believers, is communion. It's already a ceremony, a sacred time, part of the architecture of time. How can we approach the table with delight in just a moment as we share in communion together? How can we enter into the story of King Jesus' death and find there an experience of the very real presence of God gifting even himself to us? What might we notice, even this morning, in our shared time of communion, as we continue to practice building temples in time, things like communion? The songline of Sabbath invites us into fullness of life. The story of Jesus shows us the way of this life. Joining him in his death and his resurrection is where we enter into that life, and Jesus invites us into his rest. This morning you're invited into Jesus' rest. In fact, Jesus is the rest. Let's pray.
King Jesus as a recovering workaholic. I repent of hurrying, of rushing. All those moments missed, things unnoticed, things done out of duty rather than delight, missed celebrations, missed moments of experiencing your joy and love and grace and mercy and kindness and presence, God. Help me help us be co-architects of time with you as we create rhythms of life that invite us into your fullness and witness to others your good gift. God, this morning for anyone who is feeling weary, maybe all of us, I pray that we might be able to rest in you, Jesus. You're our King. You're our Lord her gift to us. And we thank you and worship you, Jesus. Amen.